The For Us, Buy Us Fund, which supports black, brown, indigenous, and people of color living their best life in Maine. Rising Tide Brewing. They take time and pride in giving back to the greater Portland community. In the Pocket, a talk show that showcases Mainers, who are people of color. Each episode represents a member of the Maine community from art, culture, and business, the earth, wind, and fire of life. Embracing and exploring the Black diaspora and descendants of American slavery through conversation is the foundational concept of In the Pocket. The overall mission of In the Pocket is to create conversational space for all people of color that is documented and celebrated through sharing of life experiences. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. Thank you listeners for tuning in to In The Pocket. I'm your host, Flo Edwards, and our special guest today is Abdi. He is a author, um, he's also a journalist, and he has amazing stories to tell, and of course you should pick up his book. Um, but please, Abdi, introduce yourself. Thank you very much. Um, like you said, I'm Abdi Lorefton, originally from Somalia, now a US citizen, actually a US citizen for about a year now. But before that, I've lived in Maine, pretty much last six, seven years of my life as a um, uh, immigrant, um, green card holder, uh, and recently, like I said, a citizen. I am a storyteller, right? That's what I do. I talk about my life and my story, and um, I am also a writer. Uh, my first book published in on my birthday, actually, June 20th, 2018. Um, so it's been out for about three years right now. Um, great stuff with that book. I turned it into two other languages, Somali and Arabic, which were published uh, consecutively in 2019 and 2020, and so far been doing great. And we have a uh, mini series based on the book, um, which is also in the works. Um, I would like to talk a little bit what that means, really. I mean, we understand that Hollywood has been stereotyping all the you know stories that come from outside. Um, so this is something that makes me a lot nervous. So if, in case the listeners are assuming, oh, that's really cool. It's really stressful. Um, well, on top of that, I am an interpreter and a translator. I speak three languages, pretty fluent, and a couple more languages conversational. Just walk around, say hi, pick up some groceries with some elements of that language. Um, that's pretty much it. So your book is called Call Me American, and you wrote that in 2018. It's in three languages now? Yep. Amazing. It's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. So your story, that's basically your story of how you ended up in the United States. Well, all right. Let's just uh, take a few steps backwards. Um, the idea of the book actually came, I think, when I was about 15 years old. Um, I need to give an overview to the listeners. I learned English primarily by listening and watching movies and music. That is how I learned English. We didn't speak it back where I come from in Somalia. So I grew up in a 
completely war torn. Um, I remember New York Times front page of Somali news. It was nothing but lots of nicknames. Uh, 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 country of the ghost, the the, the Black Valley. Um, you know, um, uh, bullet cases. I mean, there's so many words that you could only describe when you're describing like a uh, 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 horror, right? Uh, um, doomsday. So anyways, that's what I grew up with. And when I was 15, um, I watched World Food Program, United Nations Development Program, I mean, UNICEF, uh, UNHCR, organizations that are run and funded pretty much by the United States and the Western countries to implement projects and programs in countries such as Somalia, right? I watched those um, come in and distribute whatever they can, medicine, food, and stuff like that, and pull out, and then come in, and stuff like, it was like continuous, was never ending. So somehow, it came to me that, well, this is how the world sees us. Right? This is it, this is the image that the world sees. A nation that's stuck in this war and are raising their hands up, not for God, but for people, like waiting for support, for help, and stuff like that. But there are um, amazing, positive, humanized human stories that do exist within those stories. And those were the ones that actually uh, needed to be written and told, not by those who are coming to distribute food and stuff like that and going back and talking to their family members in Washington, D.C. or in Maine or Florida or Vermont saying like, oh my gosh, I visited Somalia and this woman had flies on her face, you know, those kind of things. Well, it was about time that those stories should not dominate the paper, the radios, the television. And that was like when I was 15, actually, still about it. So um, as time progressed, I grew up and I, it was time that I leave uh, for many reasons. Well, it was not safe, yes, but it was also not the right place for a young man who's just matured and came of age. Um, I didn't I did not want to be stuck in that world. I used my own God-given uh, freedom. What are the God-given freedoms? It's the freedom of movement. It's not what a human can give you. He's already giving you with, with the two legs, right? It's just like, you can move, you can go anywhere. You can cross the ocean, go to the next town, next country, whatever next continent, just get there. And that's what I convinced myself when I left Somalia. So that's what I did. I left Somalia, came to Kenya, read more books, and now came to the United States uh, in 2014. And now I, th I had this space where I could think and focus and bring my thoughts together. And that's how the book came about. I was like, it's about time. I really need to talk about my own story. I don't want to use someone's story. Mine deserves to get out there. So what are the things that I talked about in the book? Call me American. So as you read through it, you come across, oh my goodness, so these guys are dating like anybody else in the world. Oh, they're playing games. Oh, they love soccer. They love music. They love, you know, this and that. And exactly what that's what happened when people read the book and they come up to me and talk about it and they say, it's amazing. It opened my eyes. It opened my eyes to a world that, that just existed to us by the way of media. Right, but not by the way of the true narrative that are coming from uh, people who are born and belong to the country themselves. And I thought that's it. This is the key. This is the key you can connect this world that's like, you know, disconnected 
mostly because politicians were using whatever narrative that they want to advance um, uh, their own, you know, whatever agendas. Like the war in Iraq was, as you probably remember, is what our president had used to convince Americans that there's a bad guy there. We're gonna go there and just destroy and bring democracy, right? It's amazing that you talk about how the world views certain countries because they only have the media. Um, did you find that that was true when people, uh, people in the same country, that the media also can portray them as as disparate and uh, unhuman as possible? Do you, do you see that here in this country as well? I do. Yep. Is that? Go ahead. Is that what inspired you to get into journalism? Um, it's one of them. It is one of them. I think journalism is not anything that I was interested in at the beginning. I thought I was not naturally a journalistic person. Like I, you know, I didn't think so. But sometimes you find yourself the right time, the right place, right? And that's exactly what happened. Uh, let's go back to 2008 when I was still there. Um, that's when I got into journalism. Uh, in other words, what they what they call the uh, a guerrilla journalist. Like you're not professional journalist. You you didn't go to school. Basically, I did not go to school for journalism. But it's like using the voices of those people. And thanks to NPR, um, they reached out to me and they said, "Hey, we're collecting stories of amazing people living in their countries: Afghanistan, Yemen, Somalia, and Libya, and other other countries. So would you be like that person um, who takes up that place?" I said, this could risk my own life, right? But that's the point. People have died risking their own lives by trying to convey the right message and stuff like that. So I took that courage and I actually expected that I might not gonna make it, um, but I did, which is uh, a gift that I, every morning as I wake up, just say thank you, right? Um, I made it. It depends like how you define journalism. I'm, I'm not a big fan of how journalists portray other, other things and other people. Um, it doesn't matter how much information journalists get. They always try to put their own views and viewpoints into this. I mean, go back to like several articles from the 1980s and 70s and 90s and 2000s, whatever. Read what the bureau chief in Washington for the Washington Post in Somalia or in Kenya what things they wrote about these people. I read article after article after article, and it just shocks me, surprises me. It's like me reading something related to my own country, but like I'm disconnected from it. Like, what are they talking about? Right, so there are those kind of things where the journalists are trying to appeal to the fund uh, donors or trying to promote themselves. Um, and there's a similar thing that usually happens. There are several um, journalists that turned into writers. They're journalists who have, and you can find this within the BBC in London. They're, they have 25 journalists out of 50 journalists who actually publish memoirs based on the countries that they went. Palestine, Lebanon, Kuwait, Somalia, Yemen, Djibouti, and other places. The journalist gets an, an assignment, he gets paid to go there, and they sit in this beautiful, like, ventilated place so comfortable and they have like bodyguards running around with them and three years later they come out with a book presenting themselves as they were in the shoes of those people the people who are living in the streets right um and that's kind of sad i mean i appreciate that they put efforts in writing the book but it's like i, I don't see the voice the right voice the voices of these people are not they're not saying the same they're not 
they're not the ones who are writing the um their stories so two things that you can take away from this number one the world is trying to benefit of anything if you're vulnerable poor whatever uh someone is using you one way or another and i'm not a big fan of that i have always been critical of things and yes i've been interviewed by by journalists many many times but i'm like okay i want you to uh, exactly quote the way i say it. just like don't like you know put a book of your own by like misrepresenting the whole you know what i mean it's like the movies do like hollywood has two movies about somalia which are completely mis misrepresented um and then i don't ever come across person who has the same skin color as mine who's interested in taking out my story listening to my story it, you know once the, it, it doesn't happen which shows you that uh media is dominated by pretty much white box wherever you go europe united states they're the ones who are like you know advancing their agendas in, in so many ways so yeah so i'm excited to be here yeah portland Maine, to have you. whitest states of the country <laughs> It is, but there's so much culture here. And when I went to Portland High, uh, I graduated in 99. At that time, there were still 30 plus languages spoken at that high school. So wow. yeah, it's it's diverse. It might have switched over now to Deering High School being more diverse than Portland High, but right, right. I'm not exactly sure about that. Did you go to high school here at all? I did not. Okay. So now that you say that you know more Maine than me, <laughs> no, I did not go. I only went to college here, so I did not go to high school. Nice. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you that uh, where we live now, it's pretty diverse um, and very welcoming. That's why I'm in Maine. I I should have moved out already, but I I haven't found a place that's more welcoming, more open, more understanding um, than this beautiful state. So I'm glad to say I'm a Mainer. Yeah. So I know before you came here, you actually went for a run. Was it an outdoor run? Trails? It is. You know where Backhoff is in yes. Portland? It's 3.6 miles. And so I just did that basically about 30 minutes ago before I, before I came up here. And I do that every day. Um, it's my thing. I really, really enjoy being outdoors, and particularly when it's warm. Um, and you and I are sitting here wearing T-shirts. And guess what? It's October 12th. Okay. Unheard of in Maine. Unheard of a Maine, so there are times that would, which it would be snowing by now, some years. So it's really great. Um, look at the trees; still have some leaves on them. I mean, you know. So, um, so that's what I did. Um, I got into running mostly for mental, um, mental health. COVID was just driving me crazy because I didn't have anything to do. I was stuck at home, and I said, I, just, I need to do something. I need to get out, and that's when I got into it. Nice. So you're typically the back cove is like the only place you run? No, okay. I actually run several places. I, I, I don't live in Portland, I live in Yarmouth. So I run in Yarmouth quite often than Portland because that's where I live. It's like coming out of your bedroom, just hitting the road, making a circle three miles, come back. That's what I do. Um, back cove is my favorite area because you're running three miles plus while you're actually running by the water. So that's the thing I love about Portland. Um, my other favorite area is Eastern Promenade or Western Promenade? Western Promenade just come up around Main Met. So with your journalism, it seems like, at least in the uh, Forester, Forecaster, excuse me, and the Portland Press Herald, they're more like commentary pieces. So how do that, you get inspired to pick 
what you're going to comment on. So thank you so much for bringing that up. I think writing opinions um, is really good for, like, for example, in Maine, uh, we, uh, Portland, Portland and the forecaster have other opinion writers, uh, columnists, and these columnists are all not from the background where you and I come from. It, you know, and, and as far as I know, I am the only person of color um, who's actually writing opinions for these two papers. Uh, the last time I looked up, um, and I hope that they hire more people. So when I, I pitched them with the idea and I said, you guys need to bring perspectives from other people into this. And they said, well, who do you suggest we reach out to? I give them a few names. And then the, one of them was Pius Ali. Uh, these people are busy and they didn't have time to write those opinions. And I said, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, so they don't dictate the way I think. So I come up with whatever I want to write about. Uh, and you just have to be fearless, but it's your own opinion, right? It's, it's like, last one I wrote was about um, Paolo Pitch, former Maine governor who I think is racist, uh, has said things related to racist, racist rhetoric, uh, attacked black people and black and brown people in, in similarly. Um, so I wrote an opinion saying, well, we don't need his racist rhetoric. It, you know, it doesn't belong in Maine anymore. I mean, especially after the summer of 2020. Um, George Floyd was murdered and other things have happened. No, it's not about time. Come on, guys, bring somebody else, right? So that was my opinion, and I got bombarded with hateful emails, like 10 of them, I think, now, where um, folks who read the paper but are a little bit, like, towards the uh, right uh, wing um, have contacted me, basically, by saying, well, someone says something like, oh, you misinterpreted, uh, like, you liberals are completely not getting the facts of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we have recordings of this person. But I, I'm not interested. I, I just hate to be political. Seriously, just hate because I'm trying to speak for the for the voices uh, that you don't hear. So I don't want to get myself caught up in a political whatever. So I usually reach out to Fox and say, well, number is my opinion. Number two, I don't write anything without checking them. And here are all the links that people wrote about 2016, 2017 of what Lopez just said. So now, are you saying I made it up or are you saying he said it, but he didn't mean it? Like, what's your, you know, what's the deal? Um, and then we go back and forth and somehow uh, it's the tune softens up a little bit. You could feel that way, uh, which I think is really great where um, I don't want these folks to feel like all immigrants and black folks are one side, that like we're all lining, lining behind liberals or progressives. I mean, I, I just don't want to squeeze us into this corner, right? I just want us to be right here and say, hey, if I'm unhappy with Biden, I'm going to go put my opinion on it. If, if I'm unhappy, unhappy with Jen Mills and she's not listening to, um, to the appeals of the community, I'm going to go say something about it. But they don't attack me. I mean, I don't ever get hateful message, whatever I write something. What is that? Why are you guys like, you know, so there's something going on there. Um, so anyways, yeah. So how do you decide what you're going to talk about in your opinion or a column? It's based on usually events that are happening. Um, I'm someone who's very engaged in whatever local issues are um, and generally in our country. 
unfortunately i can't write anything about what's happening back where i came from i mean who's gonna read that right mainers are like ah, i don't know nothing about east africa so i avoid anything international and i'm more focused on uh political things or social things um, or maybe even other things like sports right um music things like that that are happening in in, in this country that i really find interesting so at some point i wrote about outdoors on black and brown fox going outdoors and i wrote about it because i went hiking in maine and i came across uh people who are not from maine from arizona who actually thought i was not from maine because somehow they assume that eh, it's hard to find a black person from maine hiking in maine it's like so they were like are you from new york i said no no, no i'm actually local so i live here and then that's when i did my assignment which is like look up how many diversity uh is there in terms of outdoor and i uh actually called llb and i said what are like do you ever have black and brown communities come in and buying ice skates cross-country skis like what are the numbers and they were being honest and they said rarely like we really don't usually remember um so this is sports pretty much you know so i wrote something about that we really need to diversify this and the main reason is we come from a community that's disadvantaged in so many ways crowded in small lewiston portland whatever riverston um hand to mouth working hard parents going around kids going to school so they don't have the comfort life where the white fox pretty much um, or in other words like the, the middle class americans who are living out own their houses and have their kids practicing whatever they want and taking them out on camping we don't have that comfort life so i, I wrote something about that as well which has really been a hit i, I heard i heard a lot of positive feedback back have you heard of outdoor afro i have have you done any of their activities um i have not but they're an amazing group i actually still have their web uh website or whatever open on my computer i look them up um i follow them on facebook as well um so i am i would say they inspire me it's a really cool thing um and there is another group there's several groups that i found one in texas one in california one in new york where black folks are actually going out and doing stuff nice. so that's what we need in maine yeah 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 we don't sure. have one in maine yet well, that makes me wonder nobody's ever asked me if i'm from maine or not when i'm out hiking or camping but my partner is white so i don't know if they're just like i was dragged out here <laughs> they don't assume that like it was my interest or something right right but yeah it's interesting you do public speaking so what do you usually talk about are you a motivational speaker i talk about my stories a lot sometimes the organizing um group uh, gives me what I need to talk about. Could be resilience, could be diversity, could be other things. And and then most of the times I have space where I can think and put together uh, some writing where I need to speak about those stuff. But mostly it's just reading from my book and talk about my story, which is pretty easy. You lived it, yeah. Um, speaking of which, you said you're working on a series. Is it like a documentary series or? No, it's miniseries. Okay. Yeah. I wish it was a documentary where they follow you around on the camera, but they decided to do miniseries. In other words, like episodes, 45 minutes episode, and could be up to, now we have at least 20 episodes, but they're thinking about 22 episodes. So it's like uh, from the beginning, it's through the book, 
from the beginning to the end. So the end is actually not the end where the book ends. The end could be the future. So as we work through these episodes, it could include something that's going to happen in the future, right? Like um, reuniting with my brother across the Canadian borders, for example, which is going to happen um, while I was driving from Yarmouth this morning. I read, actually, I listened to something on the radio, which they said, now you can cross into Canada if you show proof of vaccination, something like that, which I'm already thinking of doing a road trip because uh, my brother got to Canada and I have only met him briefly once um, in Canada. And, and yeah, so, so something like that, like thinking about that as an episode itself. Great. And that would be a future episode, like an episode that takes place in the future. Kind right. Of. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you think it was going to be so many episodes? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a film person. I'm not, you know, so I didn't know anything about that. What? I have I have a team that I worked with who uh, suggested that we don't do a movie or we don't do documentary, we do miniseries, which um, the team on my side, two lawyers, all agrees. It's a cool stuff. So honestly, it's sometimes beyond my own, uh, by my control, I just, uh, I own the story and I sold the rights to the story, but luckily I, I get involved in the executive production. In other words, I will be right there when they do stuff. Um, but they make the decision in, in how long the miniseries can be. It's all up to them. Well, congratulations. That sounds amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. How, how big is your team? You mean the, the film team? We are about seven. So it's just me and two lawyers that are actually I work with. Um, in terms of looking through the documents and stuff like that and we have to I have to pay them through my and I have an agent as well um, who is a film agent that I work with and my film agent and I also work with the film company itself the, the, the company that took um, or sold uh, or bought the rights of, of our story and there's three of them uh, one based in Kenya, another one based in Australia, and another one based in the United States. Um, so we work uh, those uh, as one as an editor, one as a director, and one as a co-director. Um, and then we have my publisher, who's also involved because uh, it's about the book um, in some ways. So anyway, so it's seven active people that are completely involved in, in this um, series. And have you just solely met through like virtually or have you guys met in person? We met in person. Oh, great. Yeah, I met every single one of them in New York City uh, before COVID. When uh, when we did the signing, I, it was my it was my decision. Um, they didn't pay for my hotel or anything like that. I just paid everything out of pocket. But I said, um, I just want to meet. That's how I feel like sometimes getting connected. So it's a train ride from here all the way to New York City. It was something like seven to eight hours, I think, just a whole day. Um, so anyways, yeah. So public speaking, writing, is there anything else that we should be sharing with the community about all the amazing stuff you do? Well, I, I volunteer. Um, you probably know when COVID hit, um, my sponsoring family are epidemiologists. So they got called, called by the state of Maine to be involved and they both somehow ended up be becoming a liaison 
between DHHS, State of Maine, um, and health uh, healthcare workers all around the, the state. Um, and we live, I live on a farmhouse in Yarmouth. It's a huge place and I live on the side of it when I'm in Maine. And so I've been like delivering stuff that needed by communities who are quarantining themselves. So it's like putting on two masks. I spent quite a bit of that uh, volunteering and I also pick up the phone helping folks with the translations and stuff like that. So you could say um, that I also sometimes serve as a community navigator. Well, thank you for that. You know, being in quarantine can't be easy. So people yeah. like you just like brightened up somebody's day. So right. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Abdi, this has been amazing. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Um, how can people reach you? What's the plug? Um, people can check out my website, callmeamerican.com. <laughs> I haven't worked on it lately, so I'll put up all the upcoming events. Hopefully very soon. Um, check me up on Instagram. I'm pretty active there. Uh, Abdi underscore Efton. Um, Twitter, same thing. Abdi underscore Efton. Uh, I'm not that active on Facebook. So those are the main areas that uh, you can check me out. The For Us, Buy Us Fund, which supports Black, Brown, Indigenous, and people of color living their best life in Maine. If you like what you've heard and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show.